everyone to Authors on the Air. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. My name is Pam Stack, and I'm your host. We are celebrating Women's Her Story Month or Women's History Month. Um, my frequent guest host uh, on this program is New York Times award-winning author Allison Brennan. Allison was on not too long ago to talk to me about her new book. She has another one coming out. Um, she is in the car with her children. Mary has a birthday today, and they've just been on a hike. Uh, today, Allison's very special guest, who who has come back to Authors on the Air, is the brilliant Catherine Coulter. And with that, I'm turning it over to Allison. Allison, take it away. Thank you so much, Pam. I am always happy to guest host for you. I know you want me to do it more than I, I've agreed to, but, you know, I still have to write my books. Um, well, I, I will call it, but I'll bother you every so often, though, okay? I know you will. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I Take it will. away, Allison. I, I am absolutely thrilled to be able to interview New York Times bestselling author Catherine Coulter, who is not only an amazing author, who I get to talk about, but is just an amazing person. I have been so blessed to have gotten to know her over the last few years from when I first met her at a San Francisco Romance Writers chapter and then when we did our first panel together at Left Coast Crime in Monterey where we had champagne that she brought that was absolutely amazing. I forgot and that. Then <laughs> I, I did it. <laughs> I did it because it was really good champagne. I don't forget good champagne. And then um, one of my – well, I was going to tell us one little story about Catherine, and then I'm going to uh, ask her some questions. But So Catherine hosts an author luncheon every year, sometimes twice a year, and I am so lucky that I get to go to it. Um, one year, my mom asked me, she goes, do you think you could ask Catherine if she could sign her books for me? Because my mom owns Catherine's entire FBI thriller series in hardcover. And I'm like going, uh, that's a lot of books, but sure, I'm going to go email her assistant, Karen, and see if that would be okay if I brought them. And Karen said, sure. And Catherine ended up signing something. I, I don't know how many you had at the time. I think it was like 20 or 21 books in the series. And that was just really, really generous of her to be able to do that for my mom, who is a huge, huge fan. So thank you, Catherine. Well, as I recall, we'd had champagne, so there was no pain involved. <laughs> uh, Pam, I just want Pam to know, too, I love that word, brilliant. Brilliant? I love that word. That is great. Thank you very much. And you were only second. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, Allison, we have been the last time, the last, I try usually to have four, it started out at four lunches a year. We've been doing it 13 years. Can you believe that? We have photos all the way back. <laughs> yeah, well, you came, you came later. But 13 yeah. years, and uh, it's, it's just, we used to do it four times a year, and now, well, this year, we'll see, because I have no clue. You know, usually well, we do the Christmas party for sure, and then maybe the fall and the spring. So fingers are crossed for the fall, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see. But the last one, Pam, uh, is Allison flew up for the day to go to the party and see everybody. Yes, I will shut up. You were talking. (laughs) 
no, that was that was very nice. Actually, it was more than the day. Catherine generously let me spend the night, and I actually kind of wanted to move in. Um, so it was very cheap. Uh, yeah, she was cheap. She was cheap. Eighty dollars <laughs> a night. That was okay. I'm the Airbnb. <laughs> yes, so, go ahead. You know, one of the things about Catherine that I think. Anybody who's a longtime reader knows that she has written a gazillion books. But exactly how many is it, Catherine? I'm writing number, oh, oh, goodness, uh, blah, uh, 86. 86 books. Now, Catherine started writing, wasn't it your first book, Historical Romance? It was a Regency. It was a Regency. I ended up rewriting the six Regencies and making them long historicals. And adding humor, which was also, which was really fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, yeah, but it's, uh, I, I think every once in a while, you know, somebody will say, well, that's a gazillion books. And then I think of Nora, and she's over 400, and we've written about the same time. So, yeah, and then you feel you like know, such a wow. Slacker, huh? <laughs> well, she's an alien. She's an alien. She's agreed to this. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. She has like six hands, and each each pair of hands is working on a different book, right? It's amazing. If we started, uh, she started the J.D. Robb death series about the same time I started the FBI series. I'm on book 25. She's on book 50-something. How do you like that? Plus, she writes her other books as well. That is an amazing oh. amount of books. I, I, I didn't know if you were there, Allison. I just didn't want you to think that. No. I know you're driving, so uh, <laughs> go well, right ahead. Out. We just went through. I'm, right, I'm back. No, I'm glad you're here, Pam, to take over. We just went through, like, this one little canyon. and um, So, obviously, going through the canyons in Arizona has made a big difference for the way Allison is connected. But don't you love a guest host who will – take her kids on a hiking trip uh, to celebrate her daughter's 17th birthday. Again, happy birthday, Mary. And have the brilliant Catherine Coulter on. Allison, are you back? I hope you're lo- back. Can you hear me? Oh, good. Yes, we can. Oh, Go good. ahead. Oh, good. So, uh, we went canyon. Um, so, Catherine, can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Oh, awesome. So, 86 total books, and how many in the FBI series? Uh, I'm working on number 25. 25, okay. Yeah, you know, I'm down to one book a year now, Allison. You know, I used to do two or three, but no no longer. Well, that's that's really sad for us who love the FBI series and would like you to write more and faster. Don't you get that from your readers all the time? Yes, and I refer them to Nora. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she does two a year. It's just amazing. Yeah, no, and sometimes even more. Um, she's yeah, she's very talented. But so are you, and I love, love, love Sherlock and Savage. They are two amazing characters, and I will say the very first book I ever read of Catherine, and I, I was like riveted. I said, this is exactly the kind of book I love. It's exactly the kind of book I want to write. And you have always been an inspiration, I think, to all authors, especially women authors who, you know, are looking at these big epic thrillers and saying, hey, I can do that too. So thank you very much on that, uh, for that and for being such a great mentor and giving us tons of advice at, after lots of champagne. Even though you don't want it. <laughs> No, I always want it. I always want it. I just don't know if I'm going to take it. 
Well, when are we going to talk about Max Revere? I guess we're not going to talk about Max today, are we? No, because this is your show. All right, this, this is, is my show. Spot. Okay, all right. This is your okay. spot. Um, I mean, we can always talk about my books, too. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think what I, a lot of people, because you have been in this business for a long time, I think people will be very interested in how you got started. I mean, you were in a completely different career when you started writing, weren't you? Well, I was a speechwriter on Wall Street in New York, while, and my husband was at Columbia Presbyterian Medical School. And, uh, and then while we, uh, very, very briefly, while I was working, uh, I got this idea. Uh, I love Regency romances. I've read all of Georgia Hayer. I think she's the best in the world. She's amazing. And she actually started the Regency genre, which is roughly 1800 to 1822, 23 in there. And she started the whole genre herself. And I loved her. So, you know, the rules always are write something that you know when you first start off because you want to limit the unknowns. And without knowing that rule... Uh, I, w- I was lucky, and you know, I automatically picked what I like to read, which is the Regency romances, and uh, came up with a plot. And I told my husband, and he took the next weekend off, and together we plotted the first and last book that he and I ever plotted together, and it was the Autumn Countess, and uh, it came out in December of '79. And this was the time then I, w- I wasn't quite the founding mother in RWA. I was about six months later. But, you know, I've lived, I've written through two very distinct periods in writing history. And they are more, I think they are more disparate than going from the printing press to, you know, going from before the printing press to the printing press. This is so... It's such an amazing contrast in del- how you're delivering stuff to people. Um, back in the, the yeah. good old days or the bad old days, if you were not accepted by one of the seven New York publishing houses, you just packed up your bags and you went home or you got a zillion rejections. You never had a chance. There were very, very few independent um, presses in the United States. Uh, at that time, too, there were uh, thousands of distributors because there were no such thing as ebooks. So there were just tons of distributors with very few publishers. And so this was really kind of, to me, it, really in that tradition way of writing without the Internet, um, uh, it, it was kind of the golden age of publishing, I think I would call it. And then yeah. everything got flipped on its head. And I'll never forget, I was coming home from a writer seminary up in Surrey, you know, a suburb of Vancouver, that uh, the yeah. Surrey Writers Conference every year. And I was sitting in the airport waiting to be called, and a young man sits down next to me, and he says, I know who you are, you're Catherine Coulter. And I said, well, yes, and he introduced himself. And he said, let me tell you about the new product we're making at Amazon. And it was a prototype of the Kindle. Okay? Wow. wow. I'll, I'll never forget that. And he was showing me how to use it and everything, and, and I remember just staring at him and saying, where is this going to go? And he said, it's going to go to the universe. 
And he was like a 27-year-old geek. And um, look what happened. Look what happened. And yeah. it's, it's, I, I, what, what surprises me now is there are, you know, the big seven sister publishing houses are probably now down to three or four at the most. I, I keep getting confused because they're always selling to NBC or CBS or to the Germans. But there's so much contraction in New York. But then again, you have all of these uh, uh, regional presses that do everything. So in a sense, if you're starting to write in like the year 2005 or 2010, you're in a whole new world. And you're in a very exciting world. Because if, I mean, you, you can, everybody can be a published, published author if they want. But there are so many opportunities now available to writers that were not back in the, you know, in the dinosaur ages. So it's an amazing experience to write through both incarnations of, of publishing. And now I'll shut up because that's it. <laughs> no, I think it's very interesting. I think there's pros and cons to each um, time period. You know, I think there's, um, there was a lot of benefits to being published. Uh, back in the 70s and 80s, and then there's a lot of benefits to being published now. I think a lot of discoverability is a little bit harder now simply because there is so much out there. And um, I I have been doing this workshop for international thriller writers this week. And, you know, it, it is absolutely fantastic that, you know, there's all these opportunities to learn. There's all these opportunities to get published. There's, you know, there's more avenues. To get your book out there, but at the same time, getting those sales is hard because you have you're competing against all this noise, in a sense. So well, you know, there's the, definitely uh, pros and cons. I, I think the hugest pro, the very hugest pro, is back in the day, the only way you could get known is if the booksellers were talking about you. Okay. Yeah. Because if you were not a bestseller there was really nothing to do. Now, if you're one of the gazillion herd, there is still social media. And, yeah, you know, and, and so there are just so many things you can do to help yourself, whereas in the dinosaur ages, there wasn't. You know, you yeah. were really, you were really <laughs> totally dependent on these people in New York. And to be honest, I was always very lucky. I was so lucky. Catherine, I want to jump in and say something about that, if you don't mind. Um, It's interesting that you said that because, yes, you were totally dependent on your publishers before the e-commerce side of publishing. Do you know that's why I started this show because – I think it's – I'm nine years now. I don't know. I met Allison a year after I started it. But it was because there were so many great writers out there who were never going to get a big contract with with one of the big houses. And I thought, well, I love writers so much. They were my celebrities. So maybe I can invite some people on who, uh, along with people like yourself and Allison, but, you know, people who didn't have a chance to have all that publicity and marketing that a big house like you said, they were talking about your books. They were talking them up all the time. They were sitting at the front table when you walked in a bookstore or something. Thank you for reminding me about that. It's a good memory, too, and it's a good good thing I want. I fall back on that every so often and forget. 
Yeah, and I think those kind of opportunities, because of the digital world or, or podcasts or the radio shows, it's making them accessible. Allison, louder, please. Oh, can you can speak you louder? Yes, can you hear me now? Uh, not as well. Okay. A little bit louder. Okay, um, I was just saying to Pam that all the accessibility of being able to put together a podcast or a blog or a radio show it's so much cheaper now or no cost to be able to do it. So that enables more people to be able to get out there. I hear a cat meowing. Whose cat is that? You, you, you know which one of mine. I'm over here, like, making signals that I'm going to strangle her. So <laughs> that's, that's Cookie, who is impatient that I haven't given her a treat on demand, So, which is what I'm doing right now. Thank God I have wireless microphones and headsets. Sorry. Well, that's, see, Catherine has cats too, and oh, so oh God. And I, Catherine, you have to join us when cat. we, whoever whoever wins the lottery, we're we're getting a big cat sanctuary together. Alice and I are, and our our cat sisters, so <laughs> you're yeah. welcome to join us. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Yes, we're real cat people. We are. <laughs> I didn't mean to hijack your oh. show with, with cookies whining. Go right ahead, Allison. No, that's okay. I just heard a cat, and I was like, oh, my goodness, that cat is obnoxious. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> very, she's very loud. <laughs> so, um, Catherine, now, um, you were writing all of these historical romances, some of them epic, some of them Regency. How did you decide to end up writing FBI thrillers? Ah, well, very quickly, this was in the mid-90s, and I was at a family reunion in Texas, near Dallas, and my sister, who has never done this before or since, simply walked up to me, and without preamble, she said, have you ever heard of a little town in Oregon called The Cove? They make the world's greatest ice cream, and bad stuff happens. And I literally went on point. And uh, um, I had one book left, one historical romance left on the contract. And um, so I, I wrote it very, very quickly. And I'll never do that again. But, you know, and then I was smart enough to hold it and turn it in when it was due so they wouldn't say, well, this is crap, because you wrote it in five weeks and it was 100,000 words, which I could never do again. But uh, I, w I wrote The Cove, and I didn't tell anybody. I didn't say a word. And then when they got it, they said, huh? And then they wanted to put it in hardcover. And as you know, Allison, you know, failure is fine with me, but you don't want to fail in hardcover. You know, fail in yeah. mass market. And so I talked him out of it. I said, no, 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 please make this, uh, you know, a mass market book. And it came out, I think, in, 90, in 1996, and it, oh, it sold probably about 2 million copies. I mean, it was, it, was, it was ferociously popular, and everybody wow. was very surprised. And then, the next, then they called and they said, well, when's the next one? And, of course, I had written it as a standalone, an idea for my sister. And then, uh, and Allison will understand this, and a little, a little voice in the back of my head said, well, what about me, Catherine? And it was Dylan Savage, who doesn't appear until like the two-thirds of the way into the cove. 
and James Quinlan, who was an FBI agent because I made him an FBI agent for the hell of it. And <laughs> Dylan Savage was a computer nerd and, you know, and buff and all this kind of stuff. And I said, okay. And, Allison, you read The Maze, which was the first book. But that was actually Sherlock's book, you know. It really was right. Sherlock's I remember. book. Right, it, because she it was about her sister, uh, her yeah. sister who had died. Yeah, yeah, it was I mean, her book. It, it was, it was her book, really. And J.T. Ellison, another a dear friend of mine, uh, her rule, which I did not know, is that you don't write a series; it doesn't become a series until the fourth book. And I was thinking, oh, that's absolute BS. And then I realized she was perfectly right. The, the th- first three books were really standalone books. And then the fourth book, The Edge, started the series, basically, where everything kind of fell into place. Um, and the way it worked out, and it's probably been about, oh, oh, 17, 18, or 19 of the books, there are always two plots. So you get to meet two new characters or one new character, and then Savage and Sherlock have their own mystery to solve. And uh, you just try to make them exciting and suspenseful and keep your toes crossed. And somebody (laughs) asked me, and they had a little kid off scene um, in the third book, in the target. And then I never, because I don't have a brain, I did not keep notes on the series, so the characters kind of change appearance. Uh, hopefully a lot of that's been cleaned up. But I had people in, email me and say, how old is Sean? And I had no clue. And so <laughs> so he just turned five in the, in the last book. In Labyrinth, he turned five. So for all of you out there, you could read different ages throughout the books. But trust me, he is now five, and he's going to stay that way. Okay. So, uh, so writing a series like is, is, is pretty challenging. I was trying not to laugh and I started coughing, so that's <laughs> hilarious. But I can actually completely relate to that because I always forget what my characters look like. And other than my main characters, I, I mean, because they're like real people to me, and I could I would see them on the street. If I saw them on the street, I'd know exactly what they look like. But all my other characters, it's like, I don't remember what they look like. I'm, they're, they're there. They're, I, you know, as, yeah, I can relate. I know. Oh. And you want a good copy editor because they'll say, well, you used this name uh, in the last book. And that's it. And I say, well, probably because I like the freaking name. <laughs> but, you know, you've got to have a good copy editor because, and you need a copy editor that goes a long way back with your books because they keep the storyboard and the character list. Yeah. And they can tell you, thank heavens I have a great editor, a, a copy editor, Jessica at Simon and & Schuster. And she'll say, now, Catherine, in, 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 in I don't know, in, in – Enigma, you had this name, and it was this kind of person. Do you want to repeat that? I, I, I can't remember. You know, so this, <laughs> you do need help with a series. Well, actually, I yeah. kind of changed the, the main characters, too, throughout the first four or five books before they settled in my brain, you know. But anyway, <laughs> so. Well, I think that um, obviously you're doing something right, right? <laughs> <laughs> please God, please God, let it continue. Um, now, so I was, 
so when I was thinking about your books, your you had one that just came out in trade, didn't you? It had a great cover, and I can't. Yeah, the last the cover three is. have been in trade also, uh, hardcover so, trade, and then mass market, and they do very okay. different covers. Yeah, they really do. I mean, and and that's always been kind of fascinating to me because I know that they're basically trying to appeal to different markets in a sense. Yes. You know, the trade yeah. the trade publication appeals to a slightly different demographic than hardcover and mass market. So um, how has that been working for you? Well, it's, it's interesting because I'd never had the trade before, and all four of the Simon & Schuster FBI's, uh, as well as the other series, the Britain, the FBI, they've done them all in trade, the, uh, the last four books in each series. And they're amazing different covers. They seem to be pleased because, you know, they have a longer shelf life, and that's why they're appealing right. to these people. And it's two things. It's the audience and it's the shelf length of the shelf life. But they are very yeah. different covers. And the newest one for Labyrinth, is the most beautiful cover I've ever seen. It's on my oh, uh, it's it. on my Facebook page, and it's it's just gorgeous. Uh, I wish they had used it on the real one, you know, on the hardcover. Uh, but they seem I to be happy. Something... I think they sell about sixty thousand trade something in there. Well, last, last I heard around that number. Well, the the covers are amazing, and I will say that you know it's kind of like you know YA books. The YA books are always so amazing, too, and I think that format is because it appeals to a slightly different audience yeah. that that you're able to maybe, I don't want to say experiment, but you have these, like, deliciously amazing covers. So um, You know I, who I else does so great covers? And that's Australia. Australia does incredible covers. And, and and I would say, I'd, I'd say to S&S, can, can't we use the Australian cover? <laughs> and they couldn't. They could not. Yeah. They were, yeah, they, they were brilliant, brilliant yeah. covers. But you know, I didn't I've, say I've that, and I'll call covers. myself a liar. <gasps> I had a couple covers in Australia, um, and I loved them, too. I loved them. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So you know what I mean. They're just, they're just right on point. Oh yeah, and, and and they're just they're just so attractive. I mean, they're just they're like going, wow, that like jumps off the shelf. Now maybe it's slightly because they're a slightly different audience, and so we don't see those kind of covers all the time. But um, I don't know, I I can't really. No, and they probably uh, love ours because ours are different. You know, yeah, I'm sure exactly. they're used to them just like we are to ours. Exactly. Um, so then. One of the things that, you know, because it is Women's History Month and we're talking about female authors, and I have one of the best female authors on the phone with me now, um, who really inspired you when you got started or who continues to inspire you? What do you mean? Are you there? I, I, I just yeah, don't do you know what author? you mean. People I love oh. to read and friends. Um, no, I'm thinking, like, do you did you have a mentor when you first started? Or no, you I did like not. Kind of swimming no. In the dark? no, that's another huge difference is if you need to know something now, all you need to do is go online and find out, join a writer's group and whatever. When I started, there was nothing. New York was a black hole, and the publishers <laughs> didn't want you anybody to know what they were doing. Good heavens, they would have shot you before they let you know what they were doing. So you're, you're in a, basically in a vacuum. 
and you're praying to God when you mail this manuscript into somebody's frickin' slush pot that something happens to it. And uh, so what were we talking about? <laughs> I got off on well, a rant. Actually, you answered the question. No, you totally answered it. It's, you know, because you're right. You you were you got started many years ago. I mean, I was lucky that I had some mentors that I was able to. Oh reach yeah, out no, to. there was no such thing. There was no such thing yeah. back then. You were by yourself. Period. Nobody to talk to by yourself. But Catherine, no you love. were also you were you were also one of the first female crime fiction writers that actually hit the New York Times and stayed there weeks after week after week. There weren't a lot of women like you who were writing, so I would imagine it would have been difficult for you to have peers, female peers. There just weren't that women who were writing the way that you write. Well, if we're talking about the FBI series, I mean, a whole bunch of people came online. Lisa Scottline, Patricia Cornwell. Uh, right. Lisa Gar, I mean, no, and 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 Allison Brennan and J.T. Ellison, no, 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 no. There are there are dozens, there are dozens, and and many now, of now, them are bestsellers. Now, it was well, way now. back in it was way right. back in the '90s where it was more difficult. But in the last 15, what would you say, Allison? 15, 16 years. I mean, I think women are really controlling. Uh, are more or less in control in terms of bestsellers uh, on the suspense thrillers. Do you agree? Or I think we're holding our own. I think we're holding our own. Um, well, I will tell you, I, I look at like, the Amazon bestsellers list for ebooks alone, and, and generally it's always women who are in the, the top five. So I well, think women are the readers, right, too. Yes, Remember, yes, Pam, yes. that women are 85% of the readership. Yes, uh, they are. And, yeah, yeah. So it's about time that that became a fact, you know. Because never mind, we won't even go there. That's all right. Let me ask you one more question before I turn you back over to Allison. Um, is there someone who you're a, a woman writer who you're keeping an eye on who you think's gotten a pretty darn good start, and you're anxious to see where she goes? No, but that's a very good thought. That's a very good thought. I tend, uh, I'll, I'll read just about everything, but they're usually established authors. And that's a very good idea, Pam. I should find somebody and pay some attention. That's a very good suggestion. Thank you. Well, you know, the only way, I think people look up to you, Catherine. Yeah, I think you do that with JP. Absolutely. I'm sorry, yeah, I, I couldn't hear. Uh, oh, Allison and I were saying we think you have done that with J.T. Ellison, who is just delightful. And when you guys were on the show, I remember you saying, I, I asked you, you know, who whose name comes first on the book? And you said, mine does, because I'm better known than, J, than J.T. is. But there's no denying the woman has talent. So I think you do keep an eye just in your own way, um, you know, and so – are you going to continue doing your books with JT, or are you? Well, you I'll, I'll, I'll address this in a minute, but I always regarded JT as the consummate professional. I never she thought is. of her as a beginning writer. I would have had nothing to do with her if she were a beginning writer. I was Why? extraordinarily lucky to find her. 
I was extraordinarily lucky because she is so talented. She could yes. mimic my voice. She is. She was born with technology under her armpit. Yes. Which yes. I am. A, I am an idiot savant in in technology. <laughs> so she was really the driver in a Britney FBI series, and and what I did for her was I put her on the New York Times. And that's simply all I did because I have learned a tremendous amount from her. And, uh, you know, and obviously she's family now. And uh, it, it, we just continued. The series has stopped. I called it at the end of six books. And actually the last book of a Brittany FBI series with Nicholas and Mike is the last second which God knows it is absolutely wild and woolly, and we got everything in there. Uh, <laughs> and it's coming out in mass market. It's already been out in uh, trade. It's coming out in mass market, I think, next week. Right. And uh, I tell people when they ask me, well, why did you stop the series? And, and this is the truth, that you couldn't come up with any other ways to try to kill Nicholas and Mike. Right. I mean, my heavens, everything's been, everyone has tried everything to try to off these two. So, you know, it really ran its course. The, the series ran its course. So, uh, we're, JT and I are extraordinarily proud of the six books, and they're great characters. They're great people in those books. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I completely but, yeah, JT is amazing. Absolutely amazing. She is. And, but, you know, and I think that you, because JT had been published before. I know I read her debut novel. She came out the year after I was published. Um, we got to meet at the very, very first Thriller Fest, and I love her to pieces. In fact, my two best writing friends I met at that first Thriller Fest, which was uh, Tony McGee Causey and JT Ellison. Yeah. Oh, People and of my heart. <laughs> yeah. And so I think one of the things that you did, you're right, you put her on the New York Times list. JT has always had talent. She's always been good. She just was never able to just like kind of get over that hurdle to, you know, to hit the list and to get known. And she is so, so good. And I love her. So you did mentor her, I think, in a, in a sense that, yes, she had the talent. She had the skill. She is totally professional. But you were able to actually break her out, which is, I mean, a gift that most authors don't get. So you should give yourself a little pat on the back. You, well, you thank did, you, you very much, Allison. I, you know, thank you very much. Thank you. Oh well, I, you know, I agree. I, I know you know, uh, you're kind of like the the James Patterson of female writing. You you've helped someone out. I hope that you you have an urge to look at other up and coming female writers and maybe partner with them too, because you're so good at it, Catherine. You're just well. So I've only done it once, it. and again, I w- I was luckier. I was the luckiest writer in the universe who has ever taken on a partnership. I was so extremely lucky. And and you know the way it all came about. But right. uh, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't I don't want to do it anymore. I want to smell okay. the roses. And, uh, you know, it, it's just fun. I just like doing what I'm doing now because people say, when are you going to write another historical romance? I used to once a year write a historical romance and then write an FBI thriller, and it, like, um, unconstipates your brain because the genres <laughs> are so <laughs> – 
the genres are so disparate, and it was always wonderful. So now to unconstipate the brain, if I can use that as a word, I, I try to write one novella a year, which is only 20,000 words as opposed to 100,000. And it's yeah. historical, based upon a historical character that everybody loved. In fact, one is coming out in a couple of weeks. And they're ebook only because, of course, they can't publish 20,000-word books. Um, yeah. So this has been a lot of fun. It, it's a lot of fun to do the novellas. And, and they're set in 1841 in England and Scotland, and it's Grayson Sherbrooke from the Sherbrooke series. And it's just tons of fun, and it's all demons and ghosts and goblins and Kelpies and you name it. So that takes care <laughs> of that. Yeah. So that's, wanna, that's what uh, happens now. I want to ask Allison. Allison, you have another book coming out uh, pretty soon. Tell us about it. Well, uh, yes, uh, the 16th Lucy Kincaid book comes out. It's um, cut and run. It comes out next week. Um, amidst all of this pandemic where Amazon is not shipping books out um, or not prioritizing the shipment of books, so we'll see how it does, but maybe people will buy the ebook because they're stuck at home. I don't know. Well, there's going to be a huge uptip. There's already starting a huge uptip in ebook sales, simply it's because true. even though Amazon has hired an additional hundred thousand people, they are totally overwhelmed. And but the ebooks are instantaneous, so this is going to go through the roof. It is, uh, and it's interesting. A lot of writers, um, I'm on. A, I get a lot of newsletters from my favorite writers, and a lot of people have released a couple of their um, backlist to go ahead and go free or to go discounted on. Which yesterday I stocked up on twenty Kindle books. You know, I have five Kindles, <laughs> um, one for each genre, so I stocked up on on Kindle books yesterday. That and is that so gallery. cool. Yeah, a candle for each genre. I love that. Yeah. What an idea. <laughs> so, Allison, um, Cut and Run, it comes out next week. Give us your web address, please, and where we can find you on social media. Um, AllisonBrennan.com. And social media, it's the same thing, Facebook.com slash Allison Brennan. But my website has all of my social all media All of your links. contact info. Um, yeah. And Catherine, and, where can we find you on the web? Uh it's it's very simple like Allison, Catherine Coulter dot com, all one word. And just go to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Goodreads, blah blah. I mean it's very <laughs> easy. The uh the website has been newly redesigned. It is really very, very cool. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful website, I have to tell you. Yeah, I um, it's, it's I go done well. I troll a lot of author websites uh, to look for information when I want to interview someone. So I like your websites, both of you, very much. Allison, um, I want you to give a shout-out to someone who, a woman who we wouldn't expect that you'd give a shout-out to. Who do you admire? Oh, gosh, we don't have an hour. Um, well, I think in terms of authors, I really do want to get a shout, give a shout-out to Mariah Stewart. She writes women's fiction. Oh, yeah, she I have all was, her books. Yeah, she um, gave me the first quote for my book when I was obviously nobody. Um, she was with Valentine, and I was with Valentine, and she reached out to me after I sold and said, if you ever have any questions or need any help, you let me know. She gave me her phone numbers, her private email, wow. everything. That was 
one of those things that when I was completely new and completely overwhelmed by everything that was going on and having a three book deal and not really knowing what to expect to have that person say, Hey, I'm here for you. Um, just let me know, just call me. And, and she very cool already thing. had like a dozen books out. So that I, is a I very cool really, thing. really, I owe her that a lot. Cool and thing. I think that any writer um, needs to sometimes every once in a while, just reach out to somebody that you think might need the help, um, you know, and just say, Hey, I'm here. If you ever have any questions, because sometimes that's, they don't know who that that's ask. paying it forward. That's paying it forward. And, and, you know, Mariah Stewart is a great writer. I was just going through my, you know, one of the things on my self-isolation list was to reorganize the 14 bookcases I have in my condo. And I just went through and I put all of her books together and I thought, boy, I have a lot of her books. You know? <laughs> Same with yes, yours, Catherine. My mom has every one of her books. Catherine, yes, if you were going Catherine to, uh, well, you have to, I have Catherine's books too. Catherine, if you were <laughs> going to give a shout out or recognition to a woman who you admired, whether it's in publishing or not, who would it be? You know, like, like, but Allison, I've got to go back and it's not, it, it's not one woman. It's three women. It's Linda Howard, Iris Johansson and Kay Hooper. The th- oh my God, all, you're wonderful. We met in 1985 and oh we have goodness. been together ever since and everybody made the times so there was never any any drama or any resentment um, I love that. it's 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 and we all taught each other because there was nobody to mentor you you, we there you taught go. each other, well, this happened to me here, this happened here, this editor was an idiot, this editor, you know, everything, <laughs> it was right. it was sharing. It was sharing to give out I information. So I, I think they're three of the most dynamite women in the world. I agree with you. And I will share that um, two of my favorite women that I've had the chance to spend a lot of time with are the lovely Alison Brennan, who always makes me laugh she comes on my show whenever I ask her well when I get on my knees and beg we have a love for cats (laughs) and she was one of when the first thriller fest I went to she put her arm around me and said it's really nice to talk to you of course I'll come on your show so Allison I love you for that the other woman who has made such an impact in my life believe it or not we've met quite a few times is Dr. Jane Goodall who um I found to be so fascinating, and I, to this day, keep in touch with her assistant. She is a magnificent woman beyond what you just know about her work in the forest with animals. Yeah. She's an amazing woman. She's an amazing woman. She, um, I had lunch with her and her assistant. I, um, she handed me an award, and then she came to Miami to do a private speech where I was living and invited me to sit in. She even mentioned me during her speech. To a businessman's club, interestingly enough. She's lovely. And I want to thank both of you. Allison Brennan, New York Times bestselling author. Catherine Coulter, New York Times bestselling author. Both of you are two of my favorite women. I'm so glad you're here. Happy Women's History Month for both of you. And happy Women's History Month. It's been an honor speaking to you both. Pam, can I just say one thing? Yes, ma'am. Okay, I want anybody who's listening, and I want you, Pam, and I want you, Allison, to write this down and remember it. Go to YouTube, type in Rotterdam Philharmonic Orchestra, 
Beethoven's Ode to Joy. There you go. Do that do right that. now, and everybody listening, and let me know what you think. You're going to awesome. love it. We will. Awesome. Thank you so much, both of you. Thank you, Mary, for sharing your mom for this 45 minutes, and to the boys. <laughs> Catherine, I love you, darling, and you and I will talk again soon, okay? Okay, I baby. Wanna, I want to thank all of my listeners today. Stay safe, shelter in place, get an Allison Brennan book, get a Catherine Coulter book. As a matter of fact, get all their books. Thank you, everybody, <laughs> and thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later. <laughs> okay, bye-bye, guys.